Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So far in the book of 1 John, if you can imagine for a second, you are in the Apostle John's living room. And you're having a conversation with him. And, and he's trying to teach you and show you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he wants to give you assurance. Some of the things that he would talk to you about and some of the things that we have talked about is believing the right things about the message. That a lot of times people are making up their own gospel, but he would want to reassure you of the gospel that he has heard from the very beginning. That he actually saw Jesus and touched Jesus and knew what he was like and knew what he probably smelled like. After that, John would spend time telling you about having the right view and understanding of sin. That as fallen human beings, we realize that we are people who will continue to sin, who have sinful natures, and who ultimately we need to confess our sins to receive forgiveness. We've talked about how we need to understand who Jesus is, that He is our helper. He is our advocate with the Father. He gives us the opportunity to actually have a relationship with God. And last week, John showed us about loving one another, about what does it look like for Christians to actually follow the commandment that Jesus gave to love one another well. And so now, if you imagine, you're, you're having a conversation with John and he says this, Hey, to follow Jesus well, to be a disciple of Jesus, don't love the world. And you might read that, and you might kind of think, like, What? That, that's kind of, that sounds a little funny. Don't, don't love the world? That, that doesn't make sense. I mean, something I've said every week is, What, what else do we know about John? What, what other books did he write in the New Testament? The Gospel of John, right? And in the Gospel of John, there's probably the most famous Bible verse of all time, which says this, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Yet, he says right here in verse 15, Do not love the world. And it just seems a little funny and a little odd that John would say this. And we kind of have to ask ourselves, and that's kind of the big question that I would like us to maybe try to tackle tonight, is, is what does it mean when John says that as a follower of Jesus, don't love the world? Don't love the world. So I don't know about you, but I really appreciate having um, good, meaningful conversations. A lot of times... I can't really have a meaningful conversation. What'd you say? I just said, come on. Come on, then. And most of the time, those conversations happen with Michael. But um, if I have like 20 minutes with a person, it's kind of hard to really like get somewhere because you don't you have a time crunch. But in my living room, when my kids are asleep and I have the rest of the night, just to, I just love back and forth. And I love disagreeing. And I, and I, and I love just, well, what about this perspective? And I just... 
something about maybe just the way God wired me is I just really crave deep, honest, vulnerable, transparent relationships. And it saddens me sometimes to see people and friendships um, be so surfacey all the time. And it's like, I, I, I've known this person for three years, yet I don't feel like we've ever spoken about something that's like worthwhile. Like, how many times can I talk about my golf game with you? I love golf. If, you, if you're here at youth group uh, for a number of times, you know that I love golf. But there even comes a limit in my own life where it's like, dude, I don't want to talk to you about golf. And so imagine you're having one of these deep, honest, vulnerable conversations with John. And he begins to say, hey, listen, to follow Jesus, you can't love the world. But here's the thing. John, before he really unpacks what it means to not love the world, he starts with talking about identity. In this conversation that you're having with him, kind of by reading his letter, he is trying to get you to understand that a lot of times our identity as Christians gets out of sorts. You know how you kind of like, you do your laundry? I don't know, maybe your mom still does your laundry for you, I don't know. Um, I'll be honest, my wife does my laundry a lot of the days, and I'm not ashamed of that, it's a blessing. But I have done my laundry enough times where you kind of like, especially in college, you, know, you just get everything, throw it all in one load, you don't do colors, that's unacceptable. And you just throw it into the dryer, and you come back in an hour, and, you, and your laundry is sitting there, and hopefully no one moved it, because the second it's done, people would like, just throw it out and all this stuff. And you get your laundry, and then you have to sort it, right? And it's all out of whack, and you got a towel here, and some pants, and a sweater, and you have like a million different socks, and for some reason you always lose like four socks every time you do laundry, and you have this over here, and, and you have to sort it, and it's all out of sorts. A lot of times when it comes to our identity as Christians, it's out of sorts. It's like your, your iPhone um, headphones, right? No matter how many times you use it, you always have to like untangle them. They always get tangled. And that's a lot of times like with our identity. We, we kind of, we forget and we get out of sorts and we have to get it untangled. And that's where John starts with at verse 12. If you look at First John 2 verse 12. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Like I said, John begins by talking about our identity in Christ. Now, if, if, you're a, if you're a woman and, and you see this, you kind of think like, well, why is he only talking to men and, and little children and, and older men? But John here, he's using a metaphor. In a way, he's kind of employing poetry to try to get across a point in which he is talking about Christians. And there are some Christians who in their faith, they are as if they are little children. They are new to the faith. They don't have a lot of experiences and moments with God. And so he's talking to those who have not been part of the Christian life for a long time. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven in his namesake. There are some people in the faith who have been Christians for a long time and have a lot of experiences. 
And he says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning, that you have a solid, firm foundation that cannot be shaken. And there's some of you who are kind of like spiritual teenagers. I'm writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. See, See, John, before he begins to talk about our relationship with what the world should look like, he always begins by saying, hey, listen, you need to understand your relationship to God. And even in this room, in our church, there are people who are little children in their faith. That's not a bad thing. That just means that they have less experiences. It means they have less time understanding God's word and knowing who he is. And to those who have been Christians for a long time, who have more experiences, who have heard more good gospel-centered preaching and teaching, he says, I'm writing to you because you know him as from the beginning. But here's what's really cool about all this. Whether you've been a Christian for a little bit or a lot of bit, John is saying that we are all knit together in one community. And sometimes it can be hard for the Christian who hasn't been a Christian for that long because they kind of feel inferior to those who have been Christians and know a lot more than me. And sometimes it can be hard for the Christian who's been a Christian for a long time and we look at those who have just accepted Jesus and we kind of say like, hey, hurry up. Or why are you doing that? But this is what John is trying to say. You are a person of this community and you all belong together. And it's a beautiful thing. Every single one of us, whether you are old, if you are a father or you are a young man or you are a little child in your faith, we all have obstacles to overcome. Every single one of us. Even if you consider yourself to be a, a spiritual father per se, that doesn't mean that you're void of having trials and hard times. And John is writing because I think he knows this pretty well. Saying your identity gets out of sorts a lot. You forget who you are in God. And so this is what he would tell us. If we were having a conversation with John, and he's like, hey, I, I want you to know your identity. I, I want you to know this, that you are forgiven in Christ. That your sins are forgiven. That your sins are not your identity anymore. You are not what your worst moment says you are. He would tell you that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection, his righteousness, his beauty, it all covers you. And that you are in him. You see, some of us might look to the younger believer and we might say, man, you still struggle with a lot of sin. But, but something about every once in a while... Maybe you have this, this sin in your life or this bad habit that you have. But one day, when looking at this, this opportunity to, to sin or make this bad decision, you stop for 30 seconds. You say, hey, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And, and, and you last 30 seconds before you give in to that sin. We might call that person weak, but John would call that person a warrior. 
Because how did you go 30 seconds? See, before you knew Jesus, there wouldn't have been a thought process at all of not sinning. But now, because of the grace of Jesus, because you understand that your life should look differently, you went 30 seconds before you divulged into that sin. You see, and somehow we get all mixed up by thinking that, man, I fought really hard, but I gave in, and I, I feel really guilty and shameful about it. And John's saying, wait, 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 wait. You need to know your identity. You need to know that the Father loves you. That he, he cares about you so much that He sings over you. That He knows all of the hairs on your head. So before you understand your relationship to what this world is, you need to know your identity. You need to know whether or not you are a little child in the faith or you are a, a young man in the faith or you are a father. And if I can make just a small plug for why do we have small groups and, and why do we come together as a youth group and, and why do we meet together as a church and why is it important to have Christian friends at your high school? Because I think one of the most important ways that we can minister to one, to one another is by reminding people of their identity. See, like I said, our, our, our identity gets out of sorts a lot. It, it quickly goes back into, I am what I do. And having Christian friends at school, we kind of just, even sometimes in high school, I, I would look at a Christian friend who I'm to youth group with, and just seeing them would remind me, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. Coming to youth group, we, we were to remind each other, hey, we belong to God, and God loves us, and God wants the best for us. And we should live lives that please Him. So one of our, our, our values that we talked about early in the fall is that we want to go further in, right? We want to go further up with our relationship with God. We want to go further in with our relationship with one another. And part of the best way that we can do that is by looking at someone and reminding them of their identity, of who they are in Jesus. So now, John gets to this after talking about our identity. He says this, do not love the world. And that's, like I said, the kind of the question I would like for us to really answer and tackle tonight. What does it mean to not love the world? And this was, I'll be honest, kind of a fun question to consider this week in my study. Last week, John said that we are to love people. We are to love people so much that even if our rights aren't met, we need to love. That sometimes we are really bad at kind of loving my friends and loving the people who are nice to me. But when we get home, our relationship with our parents is deteriorating. And we showed how delicate our love is. But John, he highly esteems the fact that we need to love people. So clearly, do not love the world is not referring to other people or humans. It's not talking about don't love the Republicans or don't love the Democrats. He's not talking about any people group. He's talking about you need to love everyone. I don't think he's talking about the trees or mountains or lakes or the ocean. I don't think when he says don't love the world, he's saying don't love the really good things of God. Like friendship and marriage 
and sex within marriage. Or food. Good meal, right? I think John is saying, don't love really good steak. Good things that God has given us, like kids and fun memories and riding big waves. Can you imagine for a second if, if John said, you need to hate people, dogs, and music? Right? It's like preposterous. How do you hate a really good, well-behaved dog? And music still is probably the most therapeutic thing to my soul, personally. It's almost as if you give your child, if I were to give... Fascinating. Sorry about that. Um... So it's like, so I have little kids, right? And uh, so like this Thursday, we're taking them to Disney on Ice, okay? And at first, we're, it's going to be like a big surprise. But then I was like, you know what? I paid a lot of money for this. So I need to build some anticipation here. Like, I need this to be like a big thing, okay? So what if I like took my kids to Disney on Ice, and they're like, I don't want to go. This is dumb. And I'm doing this because I love you. What? Like, you give a kid a good present, and they just... Throw it on the ground, stomp on it. I love you. Or if I were to propose to my wife and I get down on one knee and I, and I give her this engagement ring and she gets this engagement ring and she goes to a park and she throws it on the ground, puts some dirt over it and hides it. And she says, I did that because I love you. We have issues. <laughs> right? It's, it's like, it's crazy to think like, when someone gives you a good thing, that you would hate it. But at times, Christians think that, that hating the world means loving some of the good things that God has given us. And this is an issue where the Apostle Paul would talk further on in 1 Timothy 4, where people would, would argue that to really love God, you have to practice abstinence, and that marriage was something that you shouldn't do, and that you can't enjoy some things, and... And Paul would go later on to say that, that everything that God has made is good. Everything that God has made is good. And so we need to delight in God's deliverance and His providence. We need to play in the water. We need to laugh and to sing. You know, when we went to Mexico, you know, I'm really big about making sure we go to the ocean, right? Because I, I feel like it is just as spiritual to enjoy God's great creation as it is to serve someone. To enjoy the ordinary. And I'll be honest with you. The reason why it was kind of a fun question, but also kind of a sad question, is because growing up, and still yet maybe in some Christian circles, this world, this, this word worldly, gets tossed out a lot. Oh, you listen to ACDC? You're worldly. Oh, you watched that movie? I would never watch that movie. That's so worldly. Fundamentalist religious Christians um, going to the movies, playing cards, probably going trick-or-treating, was all considered worldly things. 
And in fact, I went to a Bible college where when I first got there, you weren't allowed to watch TV in your dorm room. Now, I don't know if they would have considered it to be worldly or not. I think they're trying to promote good community and they didn't want people to barricade themselves in their dorm room. But I, I still feel to this day, I hope my parents still listen to this, my parents have this, this logic and reasoning. They won't listen to this, unless you go and tell them to listen to it, Michael. Michael ratted me out last week, told my wife what I'd said about her, about the Hamilton thing. Um, oh, nice. All right. My parents think that no pastor should drink alcohol. I more or less kind of, you know, love and respect my parents and just kind of like try to deflect and, hey, look at what Abby's doing, you know, like, you know. And I see where they're coming from a little bit. Um, I think it'd be weird for maybe any of you, maybe not, um, if you walked into my house and I invited you in and said, like, you want a glass of water? Yeah, help yourself. There's some waters in the fridge. And you open up and you see, like, you know, Patron and all these different types of alcohol and, you know, wine. I mean, not that it's bad, but maybe, maybe like, if you have a sense of conscience, that you'd feel weird that your pastor has all this alcohol in your fridge. But, but here's the thing that, uh, that, that what John is getting at here. Not loving the world isn't just saying that a certain object is evil in itself. Drinking a beer isn't wrong. But as we'll go on later to say, it's why. It's always getting back to the heart of things. And so we really, before we can understand do not love the world, we have to understand what it's not. And here's what, here's what not loving the world looks like. It is not rejecting the good gifts of the Creator for you. Every single day, every one of you needs to sort out your identity. You need to remember who you are, and this is the hard part. This is the grand vision of life right here. That you would be able to detect the blessings and gifts and grace of God in your ordinary day. You're like, oh, it's really that big of a vision? Let me ask you a question. How many people can do that? How many people in their very ordinary day can look at the gifts that God has given them and rejoice in the ordinary? My house might be always be cluttered and dirty with toys, and there's these little blocks that I step on sometimes, and I'm tempted to say very bad words when I step on them because it hurts so bad. But here's the thing. Those toys means that I have kids, and kids are a blessing. And if having kids means that I'm going to have toys all scattered through my backyard in my living room, that's a blessing. I rejoice, and I praise God for messy living rooms, right? You know, the thing is, we, like, chilly with your family after church on Sunday, watching football together having a long conversation late into the hours of the night, looking at the stars on a very dark night, and you can just see the Milky Way. So many great things that the Lord has given us. And I think we need to get into the practice of detecting the ordinary small things and rejoicing in it. So if he's not talking about not hating people or not the good things in life and chili and, and, and waves and 
and blocks in the ground. What is he talking about when he says, don't love the world? And this is where I think it requires a little bit of discernment. So he kind of explains it, right? If you look at verse 16, for all that is in the world, and he gives three things here, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. Now, what he is getting at is that it's not the things that are bad. All things that God has created are good. But it's sometimes these desires that we have, these appetites, these longings, that he says are not from the Father. There are things that, that make the things that are good bad because of our desire for them. So this idea of, of coveting, this idea of, I really need to have this, it's almost as what, if you can remember what James says in James chapter 4. He, he asks this question, James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels? goes on to answer this. Because you desire and do not have, so therefore you trust Christ and realize you don't need it. No, that's not what he says. You desire and you do not have, so you just pray and find a hard contentment. No, nope, that's not what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's this, that you desire and do not have, so you murder and you covet and you fight. In essence, what John is saying here, all this stuff about pride of life and the desires of the flesh are things that we long for that in essence take our heart's attention off of God, the creator of all things, to these objects. So as a Christian... My wife would say, in our youth group growing up, the leaders handed her a checklist of how to be modest. And they had to do these certain things, and, and you, know, you couldn't have your purse strap go through the middle of your chest because that highlighted you know, that part of the body. And your shorts had to be this long, and, and you couldn't do this and that. And as Christians, maybe good intentions. I love those people who came up with those rules. But as Christians, the idea of not be worldly isn't to say these things are bad, but it's just to ask why. Why do you want to dress that way? Like, yeah, that shirt's great. As a Christian, you have complete freedom. Why do you want to wear that shirt? Because it puts all the attention on me, and I want people to like me. And to, I like the way and the feeling I get when boys find me attractive. And that's a little bit of what John is getting here. The things in life that, that get us to really desire fleshly appetites. So John is saying, don't love that stuff. Don't love the stuff that makes you just, I have to have this. Or I want to get this. I really want a nice home because having a nice home makes me look successful or that I have more than other people. Don't use your stuff to prop up your identity. Look how good I am at this sport or look how smart I am. It's not wrong to want things. But when we desire these things in an unhealthy way, John is saying we are loving part of the world that is not from the Father. If I can put it in a simpler way, this is what John would be saying. 
Do not love the stuff that Jesus had to die for. In essence, what does it mean to not love the things of the world? All of the things that Jesus had to say, I, 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 I died for that. My blood and my broken body, it covers that. Those are the things that we are not to love anymore. All of the times in our stories where we belittle people or we don't advance the, our neighbor's name or all the times where we just want to be bent on ourselves and, and be self-preserved and all the times where we speak very little of our parents and our siblings and our friends and all the times where we are just selfish and, and doing the smallest things. Those are the things that we aren't to love. And so when I look at this passage, I can't help but think of my history of like Christians kind of imposing, don't be worldly. And I, and I see John here, he's not being harsh. He's not trying to be some fundamentalist Christian who says you have to dress a certain way and that you can't drink alcohol and you can't have fun on a mission trip and you can't just enjoy the very beautiful things of God and I think he's actually being a healer here. He's helping. He's trying to say like, hey, all of the stuff that Jesus had to die for is the stuff that just makes life so miserable. The stuff that just really, in essence, like, kind of keeps you in bondage that you always have to compare to one another and that you're always kind of just being reactionary to situations. He's saying, don't love that stuff because that stuff is not of the world. The stuff that kills your relationship with God and others that makes you so self-centered. Don't love that. And I, and I wonder if you were to really think in your own life. Think of the ways that you do love the world. Ways that or things that you love that kill your relationship with God. Maybe you wouldn't say you love it. But I can think of a few things that I, I think are things that we might struggle with that would kill our relationship with God and others. <coughs> Pornography. Probably all sexual sin would kill our relationship with God. See, is, is sex bad? Absolutely not. Sex is one of the good things that God has given us. But when we take it to a desire... A pride of, what does he say here? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. And we take sex a very good thing. And we go outside of God's beautiful design for it. It wreaks havoc on our relationship with others and our relationship with God. And it makes it all about what I feel and what I want in this moment. And pornography is just another twisted way in which sex outside of marriage is a scene right here, and that's the stuff that John says don't love. Don't love it. What else? What are some things that, that we love? We love being better at other people at things. We love the feeling of, of being superior. And why is that wrong? Because it doesn't take into account a, a loving relationship with your neighbor, which... John talked about last week. And so I, I think if you really began to diagnose your heart, you would 
clearly see ways in which you love the world. And John is saying, hey, you're tempted for your identity to get out of sorts all the time. But you need to remember that as a Christian, you are, your sins are forgiven. You're loved by God. You're cherished by Him. And now if you have a relationship with the Father, you can't relate to the world the same way. Here's the very hard thing that I'm going to tell you. Being a Christian means that at times you will have desires that you cannot enact on. I will not be up here and tell you that just do what feels good. Do what feels right to you. I won't tell you that because I don't believe that is right and that is true for someone who follows Jesus. Because as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. They're hateful. And so if we are to be, we're to have a relationship with the Father and, and have our identity in Him, that means that we do not love the world. And John gives us two motivations for why we shouldn't love the world. And this is what he says. Because the world is passing away along with its desires. My little brother came over for lunch today, and um, my wife was putting up one of our kids for a nap, and his wife was putting my nephew up for a nap, and um, my two little twins are watching Charlie Brown, pumpkin thing. I got a rock or something, I don't know. And me and my brother were talking about, um, like last January, we kind of got into like stock market a little bit. Like, we don't know what we're doing at all, but. We think it's fun. And we both maybe made like $25, like doing a little bit of trading. Like, it's kind of cute, right? But we're like talking about like, if, if Hillary wins on Thursday, the next day you need to buy these stocks. And if Trump wins, you need to buy these stocks because um, depending on all of their platforms and all this different stuff, like, and we're talking about what's, Warren Buffett would just chuckle at us, right? You think like that's cute, okay. But here's the thing. When it comes to investing into a company, would you ever invest into a company that you knew for sure that was going to go bankrupt? Thank you, Connor. The answer is no. <laughs> of course you wouldn't. Would you, would you go aboard the Titanic if you knew that in five days they would sink to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean? No. No, you wouldn't. And the very same way John is saying, like, hey, listen, guys, let's... When you care about the things of the world and just what the world can give you and how it makes you feel, don't you know that the world is passing away with all of its desires? That the world isn't going to be here forever. That your relationship with God is far more important to the way that you relate to the world. So why would you continue to give in to the desires of the way the world operates? If you know that it's going to just end in bankruptcy or at the bottom of the Atlantic. Second motivation, he says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And this is a fascinating point. John is pretty much saying, hey, listen, when you begin to understand that as a Christian, you must relate to your father more than you relate to the world, that is synonymous with doing his will. So in essence, another way that we love the world, by, by not loving the world, excuse me, is by obeying God, by doing his will. By seeing his commandments like loving one another, but loving all people, by honoring your body, though that be sexually or taking good care of it, by being submissive to church leadership, by, by actually being accountable to other people, those are ways in which we are not loving the world. 
And so again, may I just make a plug for why we care about you guys being here and being part of a community and, and small groups and, and having the opportunity to take trips is because we realize that when we begin to love God and love others, our allegiance to the world is passing away. See, there's this word, as Christians, we kind of use a lot. It's called disciple. We want to make disciples, okay? That's kind of a, a weird word to use, but maybe a better word that I can sometimes use, if I can pronounce it right, is that we want to be apprentices. My older brother, he uh, works near Everett. He's an iron worker, and so he's part of the union there. And he's been doing that for maybe four or five years, but he's still an apprentice, and once you hit like your five-year mark, you become a journeyman. And then you can do that for a certain amount of time, and you become some, the, the big boss dude. It's almost like mafia, right? You kind of like you're a, a, a small dude, and like a hitman, and then a boss, and I don't know. Whatever. But he's an apprentice, right? So that means as an apprentice, he goes to school once a, one month out of the year. And that he, he kind of is like the, the grunt in a way. But he has to learn because he doesn't know anything. He walked into that, that trade and he kind of knew how to weld a little bit. And, and he knew that he had to carry big pieces of metal and, and put up structural things. But for the most part, they had to teach him. And the same thing goes for us that, that as Christians, we need to be apprenticed by Jesus. We need to be taught by Jesus how our desires are to change. How we are to relate to the world now. How we are to relate to one another. And what Jesus is trying to get us at is this point. That once you become a Christian, your allegiances change. But here's the thing. Every single day, you guys are out in the world. You're at school. You're at sports. You have jobs. You're at your house. You guys watch a lot of Netflix and TV or music or whatever it is. But here's what I'd say. Six days of the week, you are being apprenticed by the world of how to be a citizen of the world. And one day a week, we, we come together as Christians, we meet, and we talk about what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus. Just think about the lopsidedness of that. Whether you know it or not, consciously or unconsciously, you are being discipled by the world. In its worldly desires, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. And we come together, and maybe you come three out of four times in the month, to be apprenticed by Jesus. Let me tell you that being a disciple of Jesus, being apprenticed by him, is much more than just coming Sunday night to youth group. But it is ingraining your whole life and saying, I need to relate to God more than I relate to this world. I need to remember my identity in God, that I am a child of the Most High King. Every single day when you get in the car to go to school, you need to tell yourself this question. Who am I? Who am I today? And hopefully you remind yourself of the very sobering truth that I am a child of the Most High King and I am to relate to my Father as someone whose sins have been forgiven, who is loved dearly by my Father. And hopefully in doing that and remembering your identity, you will begin to not love the world, 
because you know that the earth and the world are passing away along with its desires. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just the, um, for this group of high schoolers who just paid attention so well. And Lord, I pray that you would just guard their hearts from worldly ambitions, from worldly desires. God, I pray, Lord, that they would come and learn to relate to you more and more. Thank you, Father, for your grace to us. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.